This morning, we're turning in Acts 4 to consider what we read in verse 13. And in particular, to draw your attention to the conclusion that actually the enemies of the gospel, Sanhedrin, all those names there, rulers, elders, scribes, we have Annas the high priest and father-in-law to Caiaphas and John, Alexander, and as many as belonged to the high priest family who were there. And it is the next day after the, uh, the healing of the lame man at the gate beautiful. And having, because it was late in the day, they weren't going to subject them to cross-examination and inquiry that day, but chose the next day to do it. And heard from Peter, and heard from him in no uncertain terms, preaching to them Christ, telling them that this healing, this man over 40 years old, this perfect wholeness, this restoration of uh, his inability to walk. I mean, now the man's leaping and praising God. And uh, even the, the enemies of the gospel had to concede. We cannot deny it. That a miracle has been performed. We, we cannot deny it. When they hear Peter and, and John, notice what they say. And notice who they are and their bearing the kind of men that they are. They marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. It is actually preached on this a couple of years ago, but it perhaps bears further consideration. They had been with Jesus and that made all the difference. So the title this morning of the sermon is this, who are we spending time with? Who are we spending time with? I wish for any one of us to have to be sort of hauled up here before the authorities to give an account for who we are, what we're saying, what we're doing. But would people marvel if they heard from us, perhaps in time of crisis or a time of trial? Would they consider us and say, there's something different here, something going on with these people, learning that, well, they come to church. Well, they Gather together, Lord's Day by Lord's Day, and go off to a car boot sale here or off having Sunday lunch out somewhere other there. But they come together and it makes a difference. Moreover, not only here, but they, they like actually on their own and as families and um, people just doing what they do to be with Jesus. And it shows, it shows by who they are, what they say how they say it, the kind of people that they are. Peter and John had been with Jesus. Well, they had, hadn't they just? They'd been three years with him, in fact. They watched and observed and written down the things, and we have them in the Bible, what they heard and what they saw, and that's what they say. They, they, they cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. And all the things since our Lord was crucified, when he came back from the dead, they saw that. And when he was received up into heaven, why they saw that too. And before he, he went up to heaven, the 40 days he went in and out among them and preaching to them and teaching them about the kingdom of God. <laughs> they, they heard that. They saw a lot. And they, they heard a lot. And then the day of Pentecost, well, there was a lot to see and a lot to hear on that day. And the difference that all that that had made. Oh, yes, they had been with Jesus. And that knowledge, that being with him made the difference here. 
what do the the critics, oh, the people that are looking, if they could, to stop the whole thing? They, they want to forbid them from speaking in this name, don't they? That's what they're about. But they couldn't deny either the healing of the man or the boldness of Peter and John, uneducated and untrained men. Well, usually if it's a subject you know little about, you don't you don't come across very bold. You're very hesitant and uh, very apologetic, and you you won't speak there with any great conviction or authority. I mean, trained in that, you're not educated in that subject. Don't get me to talk about engineering or anything like that. That's that's a subject quickly done and dusted. Not much I know there. Untrained, uneducated in that. We have other friends here today. That's that's their forte. You listen to them, don't listen to me on that subject. But here are these men speaking now with the Bible. You notice Peter's quoting scripture here, isn't he? Psalm 118, verse 22, there in verse 11, it's quoting scripture. The stone which was rejected and just has there an apostolically inspired insert, you builders, you, you are supposed to be the ones preserving all the fabric of our religious and national life, you builders. But the stone, which actually was the most important part of the building, you've actually rejected it. And you you crucified him. You put him to death. But God raised him up. And you have been found fighting actually against God. This Jesus had made a great difference to Peter. He's quoting scripture. You won't find him quoting scripture in Mark's gospel or Luke's gospel, you won't hear him there with with much wisdom at all, really, to share. But something's happened, and now he's changed. Oh, that name. That name indeed. And, uh, well, that name in Acts 4, verse 2, teaching the people and preaching in Jesus. There's that name, the resurrection from the dead. And it disturbed them greatly. Oh, these learned men, these who would call themselves the educated men, this disturbed them greatly, vexed them. And so we find them really asking a question, which I'm sure they knew the answer to in verse 7. By what power or by what name have you done this? Hoping somehow by putting them on the spot and interrogating them that they'd back off a bit. Or that they'd say, well, it was somebody else that uh, that gave us this power that we were able to do this. Because Peter is not going to be cowed by them, surrounded by trained and learned men, not cowed by them. And we learn that he's filled with the Spirit, isn't he? Rulers of the people and elders of Israel. He knows who they are and reminds them of who they are. Yeah, these are the builders. These are the people that should be carefully constructing, as it were, according to God's plan, the religious life of the nation. But but no, Peter is at pains to say, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That's how this man was healed. That's the name, the name that vexes and troubles these men. And it's a little bit like the man born blind in John chapter 9, and, and he's brought forth for an interrogation by the religious authorities. They keep pressing him, well, who made you well? How, how are you healed? How, how come you now see? And he has to keep repeating himself, doesn't he? And he realizes, as this is causing them great trouble, that they, they can't deny this miracle. He was born blind from birth. Who's ever heard of anything like this? A man born blind from birth, receiving sight. So this person who has done this must be from God. 
last thing they wanted to accept, and they threw him out, didn't they, of the temple. They cast him out and said he was steeped in sins from his birth. Now, again, they're having to consider that name. They're having to consider what surrounds him, what what happens when, when, when the Lord Jesus was actually there with them. The people marveled then. It was a similar sort of situation. John chapter 7, verse 15, when on the Feast of Tabernacles, the Lord went up to Jerusalem, and the Jews marveled, saying, how does this man, Jesus, no letters, having never studied? We've never seen him in the temple with uh, all the learned people of the day there, not since he was 12 years old on that memorable occasion, but he's not there taking notes as the, the rabbis teach and considering this one and considering that one. It's not sort of part of the, one of the schools, like Hillel or somebody like that. He's his own man. He's never been here. He's never been under the kind of temple system of education. But listen to what he's saying. People went to arrest him and say, no man ever spoke like this man. And here now are the disciples of that same person, that name, that person. And what are they saying now? Well, Peter tells them, actually, there's no salvation, actually, in any other name. That's the name. You're going to be saved today from your sins, I can tell you this. Authority of the word of God. No other name. No other savior. No redeemer. Nobody can rescue you or me from our sins but him. And how he really squares that up with the Sanhedrin there. That's who he's been with. That's the boldness. That's the result. He's absolutely saturated with scripture. He's actually absolutely absorbed in what he's seen and what he's heard, and he is now speaking it without fear, without favour. Unlearned, uneducated man. Well, he's not studied in the temple either. He's not been sort of schooled with the, the rabbis there. It's like that that Jesus. He's not learned letters. But the things that he was teaching astonished them. And now it's the apostles' turn to astonish, to make them marvel that they could speak with such conviction, with such insight, with such wisdom, with such mastery of the Bible, their Bible, that they could actually apply it to them in a way that they seem quite powerless to resist. Are we spending time with Jesus? Would people remark about us that um, realize that these, these people have been with him? It's Jesus makes a difference, you know. He changes people. Would they be able to say that of us? Would they marvel at what we're saying and how we say it? Not only that we've got content, but the very people that we are. There's a boldness about us, conviction. We mean this. We're not just sort of kind of play acting with this and playing fast and loose with the truth. But we mean it. You see, the world out there rather thinks we're not for real. We don't really believe these things. Just put us, and of course it was the devil, wasn't it, with Job. Put him in the right circumstance and he'll curse you to your face. Except Job didn't, did he? And the idea is that we shouldn't either. Put us in front of the Sanhedrin. Well, okay, that's past tense. But put us in front of the authorities now. What will come out? Would it be the Bible? Would it be our conviction in the Lord Jesus Christ? And would people therefore note that we're for real? That this Jesus has made a difference to us. That we don't claim to be great Hebrew experts or experts in Greek. But this Bible, translated helpfully for us in English, that's our book. And the Christ of this book is the one that we follow. My first heading, 
spending time with the wrong people. So it's a negative, you see, spending time with the wrong people. Well, Sanhedrin certainly here were the wrong people. They, they had no, no spiritual life, no spiritual insight. You'll notice their counsels when they send Peter and John out of the room. You won't find the Bible in there. They're not quoting scripture for their policy. They're not able to turn up a verse and say, well, that's what it says there. That's how we ought to act. Far from it. They're just wanting to suppress this, this message getting out. They're just wanting to kill off this name that is causing them such difficulty. Somewhere, isn't there, there's that gnawing sense of guilt and responsibility. They know somewhere they should actually be believing in that name, that they are working out the impressiveness, the resurrection, the day of Pentecost, which was quite a stir in the city too. All it clustering around this person, this Jesus, now ascended on a high, pouring out what you now see and hear on the day of Pentecost. But they would not. They were the wrong company to keep. Any that spent time with them would not come off the better for it, listening to the wrong people. There won't be any boldness or conviction about the Lord Jesus. They'll be the opposite. They wanted to suppress that name. And there they are, futile it is, but they're trying to tell Peter and John no longer to speak in that name. And Peter answers, doesn't he, memorably, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God. You judge, for we cannot but speak the things which we've seen and heard. The wrong kind of people. Well, we read Proverbs chapter 1, didn't we, earlier there. And this kind of invitation, and it's a really, really in-your-face kind of invitation, isn't it? And come, that's what the, the sinners would say. Come, come with us. We have got plans. Ooh, very overt, aren't they? And their plans are going to lie in wait to shed blood. It's, a, it's kind of an extreme case, this invitation. And as Solomon writes for us here, well, it's amazing that they're actually kind of setting this thing up in broad daylight. If you're setting a snare for a bird, you, bird's wiser than to fall for that. And yet here they are setting up their traps in broad daylight and people fall for it. And they're enticed. Come with us. Let's lie in wait to shed blood. Let us lurk secretly for the innocent without cause. Oh, this is the wrong company. There's Solomon talking to the young, but talking to any who've got ears to hear. Do not consent. If they're enticing you, do not consent. They are the wrong company. They're the bad company to keep. Well, of course, we have to mingle and mix with sinful people in this world, unbelieving people. Else we'd have to go right out of the world. No, we, we're not called to be that. We're called to be here. Oh, how we have to take care when we are surrounded by them that we're not sort of taking in some of their invitations. Well, they might not be saying to us quite lie in wait to shed blood, but they'll be inviting us to be rather cool in our walk with the Lord and inviting us to think less and less of it. Come with us. We're wiser. We're, we're the sensible people. We've got the science on our side here. We're believing evolution. We don't believe in creation. Oh, leave that aside. Come, come with us there. Let's, let's talk together and reason together on this. We've got the wisdom. We've got the following. Do the television people follow the Christian church? They follow us. So drop some of your convictions. You can keep some of them. Some of them are okay, but the rest of it just, just drop. Resurrection, miracles, just drop. 
and they are always enticing us. You can't get away from them. They're out there. That's, that's the world. But we can be a little bit too uh, sort of closely buffered up with them, a little bit too closely connected with them, that we almost unwittingly begin to take in what they're saying. It begins to depress our spirits and begins to gnaw away at our convictions. And so we begin to hedge and we're not so sure we want to be known for what we really do believe. And so that boldness isn't there. We're not, not on the front foot at all. And that willingness is just kind of being eaten away on the inside. Do not consent. That's what Solomon says here. Do not consent. You can find other passages that uh, in the New Testament tell us that. First Corinthians and 5. And there in, in verse uh, uh, 6 in that regard, saying your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? We start to ingest worldly thoughts and how the world does it, how it does its marriages or lacks of marriages, then it's going to have a bad influence. And First Corinthians chapter 15, and uh, this time in verse uh, 33, the warning that Paul gives to the people there who are backing off the resurrection. And he says, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Evil company. And the world, I have to report, is, is pretty evil. And it corrupts good habits. So there it is. It's more overt. It's more in our faces. That's the advertising industry inviting us. Come, let's have a common purse on this. Come spend your money with us. Devote yourself to this world. Store up your wealth for here and forget your soul. But you know, also we can spend time with the wrong people by spending too much time with ourselves. (laughs) With ourselves. All right, if you really are going to progress anyway in the Christian faith, you and I will need to spend time with this Jesus. We will need to be in constant communion with him, regular in our prayers, regular in our seeking his face, sure. But sometimes being on our own, even when we are, in a sense, praying, and yet we're not. And instead, we're simply turning things over in our minds and going over things and we might somewhere somewhere within it and make something of a prayer out of it but really when we stop that's often what happens it's our own minds and a sort of working way on things and and sometimes those are things that they're always there beneath the surface and this is their moment and they come up and we're taken up with them and there's a bit of a kind of going on inside our head we're trying to pray but Actually, we're not praying. We've just got whatever it is that's going on when we're on our own. Or, or worries that just keep coming back. We don't make any progress with them, but they just keep coming back. And, and they keep pulling us down. Old grievances and hurts that just keep coming back. There we are, and suddenly we're back there again. We're rehearsing those things again and trying to get somewhere there with some kind of reasoning that we we're doing unresolved issues, things that we never had closure on, and they can be acting very, very unhelpfully in us when we're on our own, when even when we're on our own, supposedly, with God. And actually, no, he's not so much there. We're not really with Jesus, but with all of this, with ourselves, with all this going on. Or trying to work stuff out on our own, trying to, to get ourselves in a place where we can sort of solve it. Except we're doing it actually independent of God. We're on our own. We're trying to work it out on our own. 
I'm thinking about this a little bit in my own case there. And, you know, you cast your mind back to when, when you had to sort things out as a non-Christian. No God. You didn't know his help. You weren't conversant with his word and his truth. You grew up in a Christian family to have that sort of access to, to that wisdom, not to, as it were, Solomon there to say, my son, and bring scriptural truth. Well, you get through school. Well, yeah, you get through school. What do you learn? Well, to be a survivor. Is that you? I wonder. Look back at myself. I guess it was. You survived. Wasn't a great time. Probably quite a few of us there. So it wasn't a great time either for me. Survived. You learn how to survive. But then you carry that through and you apply really what you were doing independent of God. Oh, we could have known how to find his help at that time. We weren't Christians then. But then we have to almost unlearn an independent spirit. And learn now to be dependent on him for those helps, for those situations where the old survivor has to come back into play and difficult people. Well, let's go back to the survivor mentality there and whatever it was we did as non-Christians to sort of get through. And it can stay. And even now, that independent spirit working it out for ourselves can be there. And that's very unhelpful. Of course, too, we can just be justifying ourselves. They think of the, the parable of the Pharisee and the publican and how the Pharisee prayed to God. Well, no, he didn't really do one sort of rendering of it. He's praying with himself. He's praying there and about his own accomplishments and who he is. And he's just sort of rehearsing that and looking at his sort of, his, his sort of trophy cabinets of spiritual accomplishments. Oh, yes, I give alms there and I fast, don't I, here twice a week, whatever. And I, and I give these, this to the poor. And I'm not like this other man here. I'm not like those Christians. I'm not like that church down the road there. And self-righteousness can be actually all that we're doing. We're just playing that out in our minds on our own when nobody else is there. That's the wrong person to spend time with, yourself and myself. <laughs> That's the wrong person. No help there. We need rather to break out of that. To say enough, do not consent, as Solomon said to his son, do not consent. You're actually enticing yourself here. What is programmed in by the world and well, just by learning to survive, which may have had its merits in its day. But surely now, now we're believers. We want the Lord's involvement in that. We want to break out of the cycle. We want to end this, this whole kind of churning over and find something fresher and different. And something where people might recognize this was the Lord's doing, that we lent on him for help, that we did not turn to our own native resources, but that we looked to him to guide us and help us. So my second final heading, spending time with the real Jesus. Now line that, the real Jesus. There are plenty of fake ones, false ones out there, ones that are more the figment of people's imaginations rather than the one that the Bible brings to us. That Christ, that Jesus, now that's the one that we want to be with. That's the one where people might realize there's something going on here. There, there's something happening here. Other Jesuses that people follow, it turns out they're pretty much just like the world, aren't they? They're the same as the world. They're saying what the world says. They're saying all the current things that are the, the things, the ethics have gone out the window, and, and it's just going with the world. Sadly, so, so many churches are simply just doing that. You wouldn't know there's any difference between 
what you would see there on the television, the BBC, Channel 4, whatever, what you hear in the church. Because they haven't been with Jesus. They've been with somebody else. Somebody else, their own imagining. And it's not helping them. We need to be with the real one. The scripture is God-breathed, isn't it? This is the Spirit gave the scriptures. And the Spirit is still there to give us the scriptures into our own reading and into our own personal experience and to bring us the Christ of scripture. The Holy Spirit is given to that task of making known these things to us, just proving them, proving the reality and the, the absolute convinced nature of these things. And that's there for us because the Spirit has been given for that. And that's the Jesus of Scripture that we need to spend time with. We always spend time with people where we receive, people who add something good to us. A lot of people we might have to concede, take away from us. It was depressed afterwards or sad afterwards. Other people leave us well, put in human terms, brighter afterwards. There's, there's something that there's something about them that just sort of adds something. And you look out for people like that. Well, I tell you this, there is nobody but nobody more worth spending time with than the Lord Jesus, who is more able to give that which is good, that which is helpful, which is pure, that which is excellent, and implanted into your life and mine. There is nobody else, no other no person else that we can have, whoever they may be, however wise they may be, talented they may be, whatever rounded character they may have, can't compete with him. Spending time with him, this real Jesus of scripture. He has so, so, so much to give. You know, it's not uh, as though, you know, back to school days, I mentioned that, let's go back again, you know. You're coming for an audience with the head teacher. Well, what? Is that something there you relish? I don't know. Confessional in the schoolroom afterwards there, what was going on? But uh, that wasn't such a, a welcome meeting, you know, watching yourself there. And even if it was to be, I don't know, congratulated on something, you're still watching yourself there. That was uncomfortable stuff. Well, you're not going to somebody like that. And here is something so, so deceptively simple and yet so absolutely profound and necessary for you and I to believe. And it is this, that God is love. God is love. You are spending your time, if you are with Jesus and hearing and seeing in him the things that scripture has, then you're actually in the presence of somebody who is absolutely full of love. God of love. Well, what can we Say to that when First John and chapter 4, for instance, so we turn to verses like this, don't we? It's so straightforward. And yet it's so, so at times hard for us to believe it. Here it is. First John 4, just reading from verse 7 and on. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. He's talking about the importance of us loving one another, but he's grounding it all in the actual character of God. 
God is love. If you want to know who, who, what being is there that has the most to give to further the happiness, the joy of other people who has their best interests at heart and moves everything in order for them to realize that, fulfill that potential and realize and come to fruition, all of those possibilities. And then it's God. God is that person. And in the Lord Jesus Christ, well, there, there is love, isn't there not? And this is what we see here. If we're, if we're struggling to understand this love, is God love? Well, how, how that? We know he's holy. We know he's just. We know he'll punish the wicked. We know there's a hell. There's a damnation for those who, who fail to, to appreciate him. That's why it talks about propitiation. God's anger needs to be propitiated, pacified, needs to be sort of held, held back there lest it break upon the sinner. So it broke instead over the Lord Jesus. He made himself to be the object of God's indignation against our unrighteousness and our wickedness. But look, in this is love. God was manifested to us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. You're going to be with Jesus. Spend time with him. Well, this is him. He was sent into the world that we might live through him. That's sent. That's a word, isn't it? There. And just think of a letter, pop it in the letterbox and you kind of don't think of it again. Well, I hope it gets to its destination, but there it is. It's gone. Well, the giving of the sun into this world. What an event that that was. God did not do it. Uh, uh, thinking that this uh, is going to be straightforward and, and easy. Our son takes on flesh and, Oh, they will respect him and uh, they will honor him. He knew the opposite. He knew the opposite would happen. And the son knew the opposite would happen. He wouldn't be honored. He wouldn't have the dignity that is due to his name. He wouldn't have the worship of men. But he'd have their scorn and derision. He'd have their hatred and their enmity. And he would be doing good as Peter and John, <laughs> being judged for this good work that we've done, helping this helpless person. Well, the Lord went round doing good. And delivering all who were oppressed by Satan. But he didn't get many thanks for it or plaudits for it. Said enmity and hostility. These same men that are here on Peter and John's case, the same men were there presiding over mistrial of the Lord Jesus and condemning him to death. God determines that that is exactly what his son would have to bear. All that indignancy. All that horrible expression of the worst of sinful kind. All of the cruelty, all of the inventing of lies and deceit to bring him low. All the willful misrepresentation. Then all the physical barbarity and cruelty, the scourgings, the crown of thorns, and the rest of it. All it is showing to us, so this is love. Whoever is involved in this and allowing it, permitting himself before he comes to his trial and the last days of his life, permitting all, all of these insults and all these rude sayings to circulate about him, allowing people to, to say it all, not judging them. And then coming to this, not reviling when he's reviled, not cursing them for all the curses that they visit upon him. That is love. That is patience. That is meekness. This is something else. 
And it is something else. You won't find anything like this anywhere else. That's who you're spending time with. But he hasn't changed because now he's ascended into glory, that that's all forgotten and all lost. But the same love that was willing to take him to that extent, to be abased and to be so reduced in the sight of men, and then to have to bear the wrath of God on the cross and all the scourgings. Well, those didn't achieve our salvation. They highlighted who he was and they give us an idea of the, the kind of scourging of his soul that's to come. But that's the actions of wicked men. Now it is the action of a just God, his father, that he's going to have to experience. And he's going to say, I thirst on the cross. And he's, he's going to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me on the cross? That's sort of words, aren't they just? All around him seem to find it a source of jubilation, laughter, and scorn, that saved others, save himself. If you're the Christ, come down off the cross and we'll believe in you. And they wag their heads and blasphemed him. Little do they know that his experience on the cross, tasting their hell for the sake of his people, was going to be what they, if they do not repent, they were going to have to experience that in eternity. That love, he was bearing that and enduring it that that would not have to be our experience, that in believing in him, trusting in him, that we might have life, eternal life, which includes pardon and justification, and includes now the power to change or be sanctified, includes the hope of glory to come, his resurrection, our resurrection. There's the Christian hope, and all of it is ours in that Jesus that you and I have the privilege of spending time with. Does he love that much? Well, more than anything I could ever tell you. Yes, that much and more. And you go to him and you you are pouring out your heart to him. And when you, you sort of steady yourself to pray and, and just to focus on that, have that Jesus in mind, won't you? That Jesus in mind. Not a fault-finding Jesus, not a sort of critical spirit there, not somebody like, like a headmaster from school or whatever there. Not somebody like that. that that's, you're not going to find much there. You're, you're going to end up all worried more depressed afterwards rather than encouraged and helped. That's just really saying very little of our Lord, isn't it? We don't really think he's that loving and that the evidence of the cross doesn't sufficiently convince us that God is love. And there he is offering himself to us, to be that to us still, to confirm that to us, to make it a lived experience in us as he and his father make their home in us. And that will make a big, big difference to who we are. Oh, sadly, we can say all the right things about the Lord Jesus, and we could probably even give a a sermon or a quote like Peter here and be reasonably accurate in what we say. But, oh, we want to be more than just words, don't we? We want a life. We want to be people that are so absorbed in him that, that that's what's coming over here. This is troubling to people that, this Jesus is making a difference. Uh, and if we believe he is a God of love, that will really make the difference there. That'll calm us. That'll ready us and steady us. That will, in the crisis and in all that's happening in our nation at the moment there, well, maybe, just maybe, they didn't come in COVID, I don't think, but maybe now, maybe, they will beat a path to your door and mine. And they'll want to know. And the more that we are spending time with him, that we have been with Jesus, and we'll have to share, not only in counsel, but who we are. That we'll be loving. This is where it's coming to here in First John, wasn't it? That there's the God of love, and we 
reflect that and we respond in that way. And we're able to give of ourselves because we're not so caught up, caught up with our own stuff, if you will, and absorbed in that. Something of that love of God has dissolved it for us. And some of the knotty problems and parts of our soul have been dissolved. And now we're able to share more freely, more openly, more authentically with others. So who are you spending time with? Who am I spending time with? It's not just a question to put to congregations. It's a question to put to myself as a preacher. Who, who am I spending time with? There, whatever we are, whoever we are, preachers, preachers of children, husbands, wives, fathers, mothers, oh, we'll all, whatever we do, employees, we'll be better people the more that we're spending time with the real Jesus, this Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible. I'm quoting the Bible here, friends. This is, is not novelty, I hope, that I'm bringing to you. That's the God. That's the God we, we serve. That's the God who sent his son, his only begotten son. So you get the feeling there, how precious he is. And he sent him, gave him over all of that, knowing he would have to suffer all of that in order that we might have life. We sing hymns of praise and feel great comfort when we come to the table and oh, remember what he's done for us so we can talk to each other. Oh, we're in such a better place. Oh, it's going to rack and ruin, isn't it just? I'm sure we'll talk a fair bit about that, but aren't we in a good place? As Christians, as believers, are we not having the love of God so much more enriched and helped than that poor struggling world out there? You know, the world needs us to be with this Jesus. The Sanhedrin really needed that. They needed Peter and John to preach to them and they needed to believe it. They didn't. We have little evidence that any of those named people there turned from their sin and therefore they must have died in their sin. Tragedy. The world needs us to be with Jesus, to be able, perhaps even to marvel, because who we are and what we're saying and the boldness of it, the clarity of it, the simplicity of it, and that we have been with this most wonderful, remarkable person, our Lord Jesus Christ. So may we spend time with him and all that through God, by his mercy to this day in which we are, it might show.